Gospel of Luke this morning in chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. Follow along as I read these words. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is God's word for us this morning. Pastor Dave, our hearts are prepared. Come teach us. Uh, I'm grateful to God for what we're going to look at today. Because this passage that we're going to consider is one of these passages that it, it gives us instruction in the character and the nature of God. There's some passages of God's word that are like just straight up instruction. Like here's how you're to think about who God is and what he's done. And then there's passages like the one we're going to look at this morning where through the story and the events of the story, God speaks into our hearts and speaks into our mind about who he is. And, and the only way we can think rightly about the things that happen in the world is if we have a right view of who he is. So here's what I want you to do this morning. I invite you to open up in your Bibles to Luke chapter one. That's where we're gonna be this morning. And as a way to kind of get into it, this is a continuation of a story. The Gospel of Luke is, is the record of the events of the life of Jesus Christ, but Jesus hasn't even been born yet. We're, we're, we're making our way there. There are all these things that take place leading up to Jesus' birth, and our text this morning is really a continuation of the narrative from last week. And so as you, as you prepare to hear the story, I need to give you a little context. So I feel like um, one of my favorite shows growing up uh, was Batman. Do you remember this? Now, I watched the rerun versions, right? Like, I'm not that old, all right? I'm talking about the Adam West version of Batman. And, uh, and I've thought about that a lot as we're preaching through Luke because at the end of every of those Batman episodes, it always ended on a cliffhanger. Typically, Robin was tied up and the Joker was going to cut him in half with something, right? And you're like, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen? And the guy would always say, tune in next week, same bat time, same bat channel. That was what it, they wanted you to come back. Well, our story is a continuation because something spectacular happened in our text last week, and that was the angel Gabriel came, visited Mary, this young teenage girl in a out-of-the-place town of Nazareth, and came to her and said, Mary, you are going to be the mother of the Son of God. You are going to conceive by the Holy Spirit and the one that is going to be in your womb is the promised Messiah. He is the Son of God, the eternal promised King, the one who is going to deliver God's people. And so Mary gets this incredible message through the angel. And then at the very end of it, I want you to look at verse 36. God does something for her. Mary accepts what, what the angel is saying, but then God does something. In verse 36, it says, this, the angel said, as a sign for her that the message that he's saying is true, he says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, I really appreciate it. How polite is the angel, right? He's not even telling us how old. She's just so old, she can't have kids. But he says, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. 
I love this. What happens at the end of Gabriel giving Mary this message is, and oh, by the way, to help you, to encourage you that what you have heard is true, I have already done a miraculous work. Your, your relative Elizabeth, who is so old she can't have kids, is actually pregnant. And at this very moment, notice how the angel makes clear that she is six months pregnant. Literally, he's saying, listen, if you were to go to Mary, or if you were to go to Elizabeth right now, Mary, you would see that the message I told you is true because your cousin Elizabeth is six months pregnant, which is good to know because typically, right, by the time you're six months, you're showing, right? People, people can tell. And so if somebody came to you with the spectacular news and said, I know it's probably too good to be true, but if you go and see this thing, you'll see that what I'm telling you is true, what would you do? Well, I think you would go and check it out, right? You'd want, the, you'd want to, to see the confirmation of the message, right? And the text tells us, look at verse 39. In those days, i.e., in the time that Mary was told that she would conceive through the Holy Spirit, Mary arose and went with haste. When was the last time you busted out that word? Hey, kids, get in the car with haste, you know? But into the hill country to a town of Judah, to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted who? Elizabeth. Mary does the most logical thing. God said, hey, listen, I'm going to give you a sign, a confirmation that what I told you is true. Your cousin is pregnant. And so Mary's like, I'm going to go as soon as I can to go and, and see this thing that God has said to me has taken place. So she goes with haste. She goes speedily. And the reason why she went speedily is because I want to show you something. Last week we talked about Nazareth, right? And, and Nazareth is it's up towards the north of, of Israel. And I, and I drew some things in blue because last week I told you Nazareth back then was very much like Valley Center today. It was, in comparison to the places around it, kind of a, a, I don't mean this badly, but a podunk little town, okay? Like nobody really went there. There were only two ways in and two ways out. These are the road systems, right? And see, it's up in the hills. And so to get there, those are the two of the main arteries to, to get there. There's only two ways in. You had to go off of one of the main roads to get up to Nazareth. Now up there, see where Tiberias is? Um, that's the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's still there today. And listen, I told you, like, this isn't Narnian. It's not Middle Earth, okay? It's a real place, okay? Israel's a real place. You can go there. You can see these things today. So she lives there in Nazareth. And I'm going to show you a bigger map. This is how far she had to go. The hill country in Judah was way down in the south. It doesn't give the specific village or city, but when people refer to it, the hill country was the, was the area around Jerusalem, way there in the south. There's Nazareth, way up there. So what does Mary have to do? She has to travel from Nazareth all the way down to get the confirmation of the message. It was about a three to four days journey, depending on how much, well, what haste looked like to her. Now today, just so that you know, all the things that have been happening, the attacks on Israel um, are even further south uh, down if the map were to continue on out of the Gaza Strip. So even further south, that's where everything's happening uh, today. So there's uh, Jerusalem, the hill country, that's where Nazareth is. So, so she goes there, she makes her way all the way into the hill country of Judah. And look at verse 41. What happens when she arrives? Well, you can imagine her anticipation. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, probably shocking to Mary, <laughs> that all of a sudden we're saying hi, now you're yelling. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Church, if you're taking notes, what we have recorded here is the confirmation of God's message to Mary. This section is the confirmation of God's message to to Mary. God had said, if you go to Elizabeth, you will discover she is six months pregnant. And I have no doubt that one of the ways that God confirmed his message to Mary was in what she saw. The message was confirmed by Mary by what she saw. When she entered into that place, before Elizabeth said anything, there's no doubt that when she went to give her a hug, it was one of those like, oh, something's in the way here. And she would have seen my old cousin. How is this possible? You've, You've conceived a child. She would have seen with her own eyes what had taken place. So before even Elizabeth said something, the message was confirmed to Mary by what she saw, but it wasn't just by what she saw, it was also by what Mary heard. I love what God does here. Elizabeth speaks up after they greet one another. And and she speaks up, part of the reason is because as verse 41 says, the baby already inside of her leaps for what? Joy, right? The baby leaps, this wasn't a typical movement. Like, you know, babies move inside and moms, moms can feel it. She knows that the movement of this child is, is, is unique and, and she can't hold back. And she proclaims to, to Mary and she says to her, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why? Because why is it granted to me that the mother of my what? Lord should come to me. Who? does Elizabeth proclaim is now inside of Mary. It is her what? Her Lord. But by means only made possible by what we see in the text that she was filled with the Holy Spirit. She makes a prophetic utterance. She says to Mary, Mary, I recognize that the fruit of your womb is my Lord. She is Hearkening back to Psalm 110.1, when David speaks of the coming Messiah as, as his Lord. And so Mary, not just seeing Elizabeth, but actually hears from Elizabeth's lips. Let me confirm for you. Mary, this is the promised one. And then she even tells her, it's so significant that the, the baby inside me leaped for joy. And Elizabeth knew what that meant because Elizabeth had been told through her husband, Zechariah, that the one inside of her womb would be the forerunner, would be John, would be the one that we've come to be known as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, the one who would pave the way for the coming of the Messiah. So when that baby leaps for joy inside of her, It's this Holy Spirit moment, this this recognition by the baby inside of her that the presence of the Messiah is there. And Elizabeth says, you got to know this. My baby leaps for joy because my baby is the the one who will, will come to make straight the path for the Savior. And so church, like, this is a huge, huge moment. A huge moment. And I can't imagine just what this did for Mary's heart for Mary's heart, to have the message confirmed like this. You know, one of the sweet things for me, though, is you notice in Luke's gospel, Elizabeth is the first person to confess her faith in Jesus as Lord. How sweet is that? It's in this moment she says, I, 
She doesn't say the Lord is in your womb. She says, who's Lord? My Lord. This woman comes and is able to recognize not just that Mary is before her, but who is growing inside of, of her. And, you know, this is where I paused as I was studying it, and my heart was drawn to something in this text. Not just that, that through Elizabeth, God confirms his message for Mary, but what this confirmation reveals to us about our God. See, let me put it this way. God comes to Mary and he says, this is what I'm going to do in you. This is what you're going to have as a child. And he could have just stopped there. And he could have just said, this is what's going to take place. But think about Mary, a young teenage girl who is betrothed, who has just found out that she is going to be pregnant by God and not by her betrothed husband, living in the culture at that time. Listen, if you don't think that that young woman is going to face potential ridicule, if you don't think that in the eyes of the world around her, she is going to have a, a tough go of it, even if Joseph marries her and stays, stays with her, like how wonderful it is that I'm going to give birth to the Son of God, and yet at the same point, I'm going to face some extreme difficulties. And so what does God do? Because that pregnancy is going to be a long period of time, nine months. God at the start of it says, I'm going to confirm my message for you. And when God confirms the message for Mary, to me, it's a display of God's kindness. The confirmation of the message displays God's kindness. He did not have to give her the sign of Elizabeth. He didn't have to say, you can go into Elizabeth and see this thing that I am doing. But he does. Church, when you come to a story like this and you see how God acts for Mary, you have to ask yourself the question, what is this telling us about our God? Does this great and awesome and powerful God have to do this thing for Mary? Did he have to give her a sign? The answer is what? No. He could have just said, this is what's happening and gratefully accepted and that would have been appropriate but he goes so much further he says I'm going to come alongside of you I'm going to tell you about what I did for Elizabeth so that when you see her your heart can find comfort in the midst of these things and guess what church he does this over and over again for his people he continually gives signs for his people to show his kindness to help them as they're looking to do things that he calls them to that are often difficult the one that I think of first is Moses Moses is called to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler at that time, and to go to him and say, hey, Pharaoh, you know uh, those hundreds of thousands of Jews that are currently slave labor for you? Um, let them go. <laughs> and can you imagine Moses being like, God, you want me to go to tell the most powerful person to let all those people go? And God says, yeah, that's what I'm calling you to do. And, he, and God says, I'm going to be with you. And then he says, Moses, all right, let me encourage your heart. Take that staff that's in your hand, throw it on the ground. And what happens to that staff when he throws it on the ground? Anybody remember? Turns into a snake. It's a sign. I'm sure Moses was like, that's impressive. He says, touch the water and see what happens. And it turns into blood. God calls Moses to do these things. He says, I'm going to give you a sign to encourage you in the midst of what you are doing. He doesn't just do it with Moses. When we preached to the book of Judges recently, we saw that he does it with Gideon. Gideon's got the really famous story, right? Where he puts out the fleece when God says, I want you to fight the Midianites. And he's like, are you really sure? Like, if you're really sure, like I'm gonna put a fleece out and let it be wet and then the next day, let it be dry. And he does that fleece thing. But before he even does the fleece thing, 
That's when Gideon asked God for a sign. First, God says, I want you to fight the Midianites. And here's going to be my sign. Take this meal, put it on a rock, and I'm going to consume it with fire. And he consumes the meal. And so he's showing Gideon that he's with him. And then Gideon asks for a sign. And God's like, okay, I'm also going to give you that sign as well. There's time after time where God calls his people to things and then he gives them a sign. For me, when I see that, when we see the all-powerful one stooping down so low to help his people along, to me, that just shows the kindness of God. Now, by the way, what this doesn't mean is I don't want us to become a church where we're asking God for a sign for everything that we do, okay? That's not, what, that's not your takeaway. It's like, I heard Pastor Dave say, before I do something, I need to ask God for a sign. That's not what I just said, okay? I said, God giving Mary the sign displays to us his kindness. He does something he doesn't have to do. During the Civil War, there are many, many stories of President Abraham Lincoln at the time. He would often go to the places where battles had been fought for the Union Army, and he would visit the makeshift tents, hospitals that were set up to care for the injured soldiers. And there's a number of different stories that are told about him. One that's really significant is here you have the President of the United States. He leaves his responsibilities in Washington. He comes and he's, and he's addressing the soldiers that are there walking through. And he comes to one soldier in particular who is blinded in the fighting, whose wounds and injuries would eventually take his life. But he sits down with the soldier and he says, soldier, is there anything I can do for you? He doesn't introduce himself as the president. He just comes to him. He says, what can I, what can I do for you? And he says, he says, I don't know if I'm going to make it. He says, I can't see. I want to write my family a note. Would you write a note to, to my family and mail it to him? And so... The President of the United States comes and he sits down by the seat of this soldier and he records the message from the soldier to his family. And he says, you know, could you, could you please say, you know, to you, Susie, to you, Joseph, and, and to you, Father, you know, I give all my love. And, and he does it. The king, you know, the president comes and he sits with this person. He writes a letter for him and then he mails that letter. He had signed it, though. He says, this is, you know, from so-and-so written by Abraham Lincoln. And I think about that story, you know, because it's, we're always amazed when the exalted people, if you will, the people of the prestige come down and, and they, they help in those circumstances. God, he could do all things. I mean, he is doing all things. He, he's, he's making Mary be pregnant by his spirit, conceiving the one who would be the Messiah. And yet he also comes and he takes time to say, but I'm also going to let you know what I've done for Elizabeth to help you. Church, God is, is so kind. He is so kind. And not only does God display his kindness in the confirmation of his message, he does something else. Look at verse 45. Elizabeth goes on and she says, And blessed is she, that's Mary, who believed there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. At the very end of Elizabeth's pronouncement to Mary about who is actually in her womb, she closes here with, what we find to be a word of affirmation. She affirms Mary. Do you see it in the text? She says, blessed is the one who has obeyed. Blessed is the one who has believed that there would be a fulfillment of what the Lord spoke to her. He looks, she looks at Mary and she says, Mary, I see you before me and I see you as one who is believing what God has said. She affirms Mary, and right here I think this affirmation of Elizabeth, it also displays God's kindness. It puts God's kindness on display. He uses, God, God not only confirms the message through what she sees and hears, but God also displays his kindness 
through Mary's words to her. It was a huge thing for this young teenage girl to receive all this news, to walk in obedience to what God was calling her to do, to believe the word that was spoken to her. And what does God do? He uses Elizabeth to say, I see you. I see you walking in obedience. I see you believing me. And so she speaks this word of affirmation. This isn't the word of affirmation like you're good enough, you're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like you, okay? That's not what this word of affirmation is. This is a word of saying, you are walking in obedience to the Lord. I see it, God sees it, and it's right and it's good. Tell me, church, that words of affirmation in that way, words of encouragement in that way, aren't huge for the soul. Have you ever had somebody come alongside of you? And in a moment in time in your life when it was difficult either to obey or to believe what was happening, the Lord was with you and you were walking obedience, somebody speaks a word saying, you know what, I, I saw what you did there. I see you following the Lord. You know, you're, think about it. If you're a young mom or if, or if you're just a parent in general and somebody sees you deal with a, a child who's having a temper tantrum and you don't lose your, yourself in that moment and somebody comes alongside and says, man, I saw you demonstrate such patience. I know that that couldn't have been, been easy. What would that do for your spirit in that moment? When you serve your family in a way and a family member comes alongside and says, you know, I know you didn't have to do that, but what you did for us was a blessing to us. Words of affirmation. When we're walking in obedience to the Lord, one of my takeaways as I was seeing this is just, it's just how powerful that is. And one of the things I want to encourage us today when I see what God is doing in and through Elizabeth for Mary is to say this to us. As God's people, we can serve as conduits of God's kindness. One of the ways that he has shaped us and he's made us, and we saw this in the book of Ephesians, is that when we use our speech, we're to use it in such a way to build each other up and not what? Tear each other down. To speak words of encouragement because that's what God does over us. He, he seeks to use the speech of his word in order to encourage us in our walk with him. And I'm here to tell you that one of the things that God calls us to as his image bearers is to do the same. You become, I become conduits of, of God's kindness when we speak words of affirmation. I'm not talking about hollow words of affirmation. I'm talking about when you see somebody walking in the Lord to come alongside and to encourage them. I would challenge you and, can, and just encourage you this week. Go after those in your family. Go after those around you. Not with words to attack and correct, but seek to find ways in which you see them walking in obedience, walking in faithfulness, and to let them know that you see it and to encourage them in this way. See what that will do for their heart and mind. See that, what that will do for your, your own. It's a beautiful thing when we use our speech to build up and to not tear down. And I think what Elizabeth does for Mary here is so, so huge. Now what comes next in the text? When, when Mary gets the confirmation of the message and she receives God's kindness in this way, well, look at how she responds. In fact, the way that she responds in the coming verses in 46 through 56, I think is the only appropriate response to when you really are reflecting on who God is and what he's done. And her response is worship. And that's her response. Her response to the confirmation of the message is worship. Look at it in verse 46. It says, and Mary said, so now she speaks, my soul, it magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my what? Savior. Now, now church, 
The first thing that she says is, my soul, it magnifies the Lord. This word, as it's used in the, in the Greek here and is used in context elsewhere, it has a really large range, but what it's focusing in on is another way to translate it is to praise the Lord. It's to take something and to make much of it, to exclaim it, to make it known to others because it is worthy of praise. And so what is she saying? She's saying, my soul wants you to know about my Lord and my spirit. It rejoices in God, my Savior. And one of the things I love that Mary does here is she recognizes two things about God that will eventually be said about Jesus. And that is that God is her Savior and her what? Lord. Do you see that? She highlights the two aspects of who God is for his people. He is both Savior and Lord. You must have, you must have them both ways. You can't just have God as your Lord because if he's just God as your Lord, then what that means is all of his commands you and I have to obey in order for him to accept us. But guess what? No one is capable of, of doing that. No one is capable. And so if he's just your Lord, then you will be crushed under the weight of the law that comes upon you. You need him as Savior and Lord because when he is your Lord and your Savior, then you know that he forgives all the ways that you and I fall, fall short. But you also just can't have him as Savior. If he's just, he's the one who forgives you of your sins, you can't come to him and just say, well, you know what, you forgive me. I can live however I want. Your grace covers all of it. No, he is Savior and and Lord. And Mary recognized it. And she says, I want, I want to magnify him. I want to worship him. What she says here, her response is worship, praising God for who he is and what he's done. That is her response to the confirmation of the message, praising God for who he is and what he's done. In fact, in the rest of these verses, here's what we're going to see. She goes into great detail about what God has done for her, what God has done for all people and how God has acted on Israel's behalf. And she uses these ways of talking about what God has done in order to reveal to you and I aspects of his character and nature that we can cling to so that we too might have in our hearts every day the desire to praise and to worship him. And so when you come to this, one of the things that I want you to just know, like Mary's song here, what we're, the verses that we're gonna finish with this, this young woman, she knew God's word. Scholars, when they look at this, find so many allusions to Old Testament passages. And in fact, those who've broke down says, in what Mary says next, we can find verses that allude to Genesis, Deuteronomy, 1 and 2 Samuel, Job, Psalms, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. Mary, and I mean this in a good way, litters her praise of God with all of these reminders of what he has done. And the very first thing that she lets us know about him is in verse 48. She says this, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things, and this is how you should read it, for me, and holy is his name. What's Mary doing here? This is the first place where Mary, she's, she's in her praise of God saying, I want you to know about him by what he's done for me. You see, Mary understands herself to be somebody who is very undeserving. She, she calls herself the servant of the Lord. And she, when she says, listen, the one who's mighty has done great things for me. Mary understands herself rightly in relationship to her God. And she understands that she, this one who is so undeserving because of her lowly estate, has received this tremendous gift 
She literally says there in the, in the text, you see it, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. People are going to call me, me blessed. And what do we learn about God? What is, what is Mary Moline to magnify about God in this? It's that God is gracious. The undeserving receive goodness. That's what Mary is highlighting for us here. The graciousness of God. She says, listen, the undeserving, they receive goodness. I am an undeserving person. You are an undeserving person. Yet Mary says, look at what God has done. He has considered me in my humble estate and he has allowed me to be the mother of the son of God. Now, as I consider this, as we look at that, I have to say, is Mary the only person that can claim this? Is Mary the only person that can say that they were undeserving yet have received goodness? I mean, when you consider our lives, when you consider what the one in the womb of Mary would do, Jesus Christ came into the world to die so that we might have everlasting life, eternal life, restored to the Father. Mary can look at what happened to her and say, isn't God gracious? Church, we can look at what God has done and say, isn't he gracious? In fact, I love what Pastor Jason did this morning when he brought us to Psalm 103. Psalm 103 says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Can I get an amen to that? He doesn't. How do we know that he doesn't? Because he, he puts it all on Jesus. Nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. God is gracious. Mary says, you want to know I'm worshiping him right now? You know why my soul wants to magnify the Lord? Because he's been gracious. The undeserving receive goodness. But here's a little something. Here's a little something. And, and if you have children, you've experienced this with, with them. But guess what? Because we're children of the heavenly father, He's also experienced this with us. Guess what that is? When you think you are deserving, you do not see the blessing. <laughs> Let me just say that one more time. When you think you are deserving, you do not see the blessing. If you have children, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's like you, 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 do, you look to do something good for them. There, there's no gratitude. There's no response of thanks. And it's not why we do things is to get that. But you can recognize if you think you... God owes you something, if you think life owes you something, that anything that you receive from the Lord, including your salvation, if you, if you believe that it's, it's not a gift, but if you believe it's something that you can earn, then you won't see the goodness that God gives. May that never be true of us. In fact, Jesus, later in Luke 14, he'll be speaking and he'll say in Luke 14, 11, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you know what he's talking about there? He's talking about those who recognize, like Mary, I am undeserving. There is nothing in me that should merit God's kindness, his grace, and his goodness. Jesus says, those are the ones who are exalted. God opposes the proud, but gives what? Grace to the humble. And, and so Mary is one of those people who says, isn't God so gracious? All of us, we only deserve the wrath of God. We only deserve hell. And yet, what does he do? He comes to us. And he rescues us. In verse 50, we see even more of what God does. Look at verse 50. It says, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary now, now switches, and she's not just talking about what God has done for her, but what God does wholesale. 
Not just for her, but he says, listen, do you understand if you were to turn this around, those who fear him receive God's mercy. And again, that word for mercy, it can mean a lot of things. Just often we think about mercy as not getting the thing that you deserve. Typically punishment, right? Like, I, I did bad, therefore I need to get punishment for it. And so we think, no, I'm going to show you mercy. You're not going to get what you deserve, but it's more than that. In, in the context here, what Mary is coming and saying, for those who fear him, for those who recognize who God is, that he is worthy of worship, and we are wholly dependent upon him, Mary comes and say, they receive mercy. But another word that could be used in that is that they receive compassion. God is compassionate towards his people. That's what Mary wants you to know. If you look to him, if you go to him and you recognize your need and you recognize how undeserving you are, God does not turn you away. Praise the Lord for that, amen? For those who fear him, for those who recognize who they are in light of him, he brings compassion. And guess what? That wasn't just for one group of people. It says from generation to generation. This has always been God's MO. This has always been how he has operated. He does not turn his back on those who come, come to him. Man, today, what a comfort that is. To know the promises of God, to know that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Um, does your love ever cease? for people? Uh, come on now. Am I the only one that, it, I'm, not, I'm not talking maybe like indefinitely, but have there ever been moments in your life that somebody that you've been kind and compassionate for, like they cross the line and in that moment you're like, you're dead to me, you know? <laughs> you know, the, you're like, I never say that, the liar. It's in your heart, you know it. You know, at some point, people can do that. Not our God. For those who are in Jesus Christ, for those who fall upon his grace and upon his mercy, he says that the Lord is compassionate towards his people. From generation to generation, this is a word of comfort. And then in verses 51 through 53, she goes on to say this. Yes, he's compassionate. Yes, he is kind. Yes, he is gracious. But look at these verses. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away. What? Empty. Do you know what Mary is drawing attention to? God's work throughout history is pretty consistent. For those who come before him in humility, he continues to show his grace and his kindness and his mercy, but then she draws our attention to the fact that God is in the midst of everything, how he's dealt with the proud and how he's dealt with the lowly. He is just and all-powerful. He is just and all-powerful. That's what Mary is saying about him. Look at the strength of his, his arm. We tease my one, my one brother. Uh, he, he works out, his body just responds well to weights and he's got biceps, you know? And I, whenever I read this, I'm like, you know, I picture my, my brother, you know, he's got this, this bicep. I'm still stronger than him. It just looks like he's, no, I'm kidding. But you know, but you look at somebody and you're like, look at how strong they are. The strength of God's arm, listen, there is no one, there is no one mightier than him. There's no emperor, there's no dictator, there's no country, there's no empire that God cannot move any which way he wants. You know, sometimes we are quick to judge 
and to question the justice of God. Man, I do not encourage you to watch some of the news reports that are coming out of Israel and the kidnappings and the hostage taking and, and stuff. It just breaks your heart. And I don't know always how to process all of those things, but here's what I can tell you in light of who God is and what he's done. God is just, and he's all-powerful. There has never been one empire. There's never been one king. There's never been one emperor. There's never been one ruler who exists for forever. Every empire that has used its power to abuse and to destroy, to harm, they all come to nothing. Babylon, Assyria, Rome, Greece. Just go down the list even to the modern days. And here's the thing. If you wonder, is God really just for those who are not found in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the best that they ever had it was in their brief time here on earth because for eternity, they experienced the judgment and wrath of God. And so our perspective is often skewed. We might say it looked like they succeeded here. It looked like they never had any hardships there. They are facing an eternity under the powerful arm of God's judgment. But for those who are lowly, for those who look to him, when it says that he has filled the hungry with good things, that's not a promise that those who are in poverty and destitution now are going to have their bellies full. That's a promise that for those who are in Christ, there is a marriage feast before the lamb who was slain that goes on forever. And so for those who are poor in spirit, as Jesus will go on to say in his ministry, there they are filled with good things. Because Jesus promises to those who are in Christ eternal life. And so Mary, before she even can even comprehend how just, how gracious, how kind, how compassionate, how powerful God is because of what will be displayed in her son, she proclaims up to that point what she knows to be true. And that enough fills her heart with worship. But if that weren't enough, she closes her song with one final thing. Look at it, verse 56. I'm sorry, verse 54. She closes by saying this. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Do you know what she's doing right there? She's drawing us into the flow of redemptive history. She's saying, in case you want to know how, how great my God is and why he is worthy of praise, because God fulfills his promises. That's what she's saying there. The promise was made to Abraham that through your seed, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Mary gets to stand there and says, he's here. He le you know, John leaped at the presence of what was in my womb. Elizabeth has just proclaimed with her lips, why should I be so blessed that my Lord would be here before me? The mother of my Lord would stand before me. Mary understands that in her womb, God is fulfilling all of his redemptive promises. And this is beautiful. And Mary says, do you know God? Do you know why my heart is filled to worship and to praise him, to magnify him? because he fulfills his promises, because he is gracious, because he is just, because he is all-powerful, because he is kind. And so Mary is overwhelmed in this song of praise. And so you might say, so what, Dave? Why does all of this matter to us today? Well, gaze upon him. Look upon what, what Mary says about her God and 
if that's true of her God and her God is your God and her son in her womb is the savior of the world and everything that she says is true of what she's experienced, church, we've experienced the same thing. God has not forsaken any promises that he makes to us. God has shown grace greater than what even Mary could have imagined by giving us not just salvation through Jesus Christ, but new life. You have the Spirit's power inside of you. You have the kindness of God that he's the shepherd that continues to go with you and to go with me. And so what should be our heart's response when we gaze upon God, even when the difficulty of the circumstances and news that surrounds us? The answer is worship and praise because this is who he is and this is what he's done. And so my prayer for us is that we would be a people who take these things, who receive the word of God in this way and that we go forward clinging to what we know to be true of him as Mary knew it to be true of of her. May the Lord help us in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, As we bow before you, our entrance into your presence was made through your son, Jesus Christ. And that in Christ, we see truly, if we would look, we truly see the the fullness of who you are on display. Lord, for any heart today that is struggling with the idea that you could be just and all-powerful in the midst of the sadness and wickedness of this world, Lord, let us look to Christ who came and who died, who absorbed your wrath that we justly deserved. And so, Lord, while there is affliction and heartache, one day, Lord, you are going to make all things new. And Lord, that anything that we lacked here because of sin in this world, Lord, you will make up beyond on measure. And that, Lord, even though as we walk through this world, we know that your grace is there with us. There's not one person here who is, who if they are in Christ has not gotten something that they did not deserve. There's not one person here who did not receive the thing that they should get. Because, Lord, you have been so, so merciful. And so, Lord, let us sing your praises. Let us cling to these truths for the praise and glory of your name, for the good of our hearts. And Lord, I pray for the world who so desperately needs to know who you are and what you've done. And so we ask this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Amen.